Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ce qui se passe dans les bois est un véritable podcast sur la criminalité. Nous discutons d'événements qui sont souvent de nature violente. La discrétion de l'auditeur est conseillée. What Happens in the Woods is a true crime podcast. We discuss events that are often violent in nature. Listener's discretion is advised. It is a place where childhood memories are made. A place promising distraction or even escape. But every summer brings one mother back, reminding her of a memory there's no escape. So I just picture her yelling and screaming and having a good time. And by all accounts, that's how the night of September 17, 1992 began for Misty Copsey. A trip to the fair with a girlfriend. Her mom, Diana, dropped them off. She walked across the street, she had out my pair of jeans, and they, they were baggy on her. Misty reassured her mom not to worry, promising to grab an early bus ride home. I told her, If something goes wrong, I wouldn't let her do anything like that again. Diana would never get that chance. Misty's friend told detectives the two girls left the fair, then split up. And that's when something did go wrong. The 14-year-old missed that bus ride back home and called her mom from a payphone to break the news. After saying goodbye, the last confirmed sighting of Misty came around 9.20 right here in downtown Puyallup. A bus driver said he recognized a young girl asking for a ride, only he had to tell her service had stopped. And I figured when I got home she'd be there thinking she's in trouble. And when I opened the door and no one was there, my heart just dropped. I just knew. I just knew. In downtown Puyallup, Washington, there stands a permanent fixture that brings joy and thrills to those who seek it. Over the years, this event has evolved from a small community affair to its current attraction as the Washington State Fair. Over a million people come twice a year to enjoy the rides, the attractions, and of course the food. During its off-season, the lights are on around the roller coasters and throughout areas of the grounds, but it is as empty as a ghost town. A constant reminder to one local mother that her only daughter went missing after what should have been a fun day at the fair. Over 25 years later, and that mother is no closer to any answers about her daughter's disappearance as she was the day it happened. Many factors have contributed to the undeniable bungling of this case, but the sad fact remains, the case has gone cold, and unless someone gives up any information, it will remain that way. This is True Crime Podcast, What Happens in the Woods, with your host, Jess and Bryce. Let's get started.
Hello, friends, and welcome back. With me, of course, is Bryce, but we have a guest with us today. This is my good friend, Brandy. Hello. She uh, works with me. She's been hearing me talk about this podcast for months, rambling on and on, (laughs) and I finally got her to come. I'm here. Yes. So um, Brandy is native to the area, so I thought this was a fitting case to have you come um, because it is dealing with the this town, Puyallup, mm-hmm. and um, some of the outlining areas that you're probably really familiar with. And you also share a love of books oh, with yes. me. We're always talking about good books that we need to read. And have you read this? And Oh, the list goes on. Yeah, there's always a list. There's always a, a list, which is good. We're always, we're always keeping ourselves mm-hmm. entertained, right? Mm-hmm. So we are no longer in my birth month. Wah, wah, wah. It's now Bryce's birth month. I only have a birthday. I don't, I'm not you. I don't celebrate the whole month. Whatever. Whatever. I, if I <laughs> had presents for you throughout the whole month, you would accept them and you know it. I would hold them all until the 13th. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, I would. Be like, I would. <sighs> it's a woman thing, the birth month. <laughs> we like to elongate the celebration. I guess. Um, I, I think it's more the anticipation up until the day. Cause trust me when my birthday com- like comes, I am not excited about it. I just want the gifts. You just want the celebration part. I just want part. the celebration part. I get it. I don't want the actual day. Yeah. So you guys look at it as that. And we look at it as an extended torture or prolonged torture. Cause you drag it out the whole month. Yeah. Men aren't really into the whole yeah. singing happy birthday or no, not that. really. I don't mind it on the birthday. I have not asked anybody to sing me happy birthday. I just want that to go on record. Nobody was asked to do that before my birthday. Okay. (laughs) Now it's going to happen. We hope everybody survived the Halloween madness. We um, hope that you guys enjoyed our collab with our favorite podcast, Ladies, Crimes and Closets, that we did. Please continue to show them love. And if you found us through them, thank you for you know giving us a try. We hope you stick around. And yeah, let us know how you thought about that, what you thought about that episode. And if we should do that again, because we totally would. And I think they would too. So we really, really appreciate them bringing that up and doing that with us. Um, any updates, Bryce? No. Canada. Canada is still on top. So Canada is still on top. That's uh, our... Our disclaimer this week is from Canada again. I love that Canada is, is still up there. So thank you for listening. We Again, I just don't, I don't know where you guys find this, but wherever you find it, I, I love that you found it. That's that's all you got for us? Yes. Okay. Are we supposed to talk about something else? No, I don't know. That's why oh. I'm giving you this platform in case you had something on your mind that you needed to share. Uh, if you'd like to send me birthday gifts, our address <laughs> is on the uh, website. <laughs> now you want the gifts? I won't open them till my birthday. I didn't even pander for gifts from people we don't know. Hey, I'll take it where I can get it. <sighs> Whatever. You act like you're not going to get celebrated this month. Mm-hmm. It, uh, then it would be because it's early. So it's not like the 28th where you have to celebrate it the whole month. Mine is like really early in the month. So. Yours is halfway through. Before halfway. So it'd be Slightly a really short before. month. Okay. All right. All right. All right, so in this episode, we are discussing the unsolved case of the disappearance of Misty Copsey, as well as three possible related missing persons cases that, unfortunately, their information is only attached to Misty's information, which to me is is bullshit. When you're searching for information on 
a person who is a victim of a crime is missing or is has been murdered, the fact that their information is folded into another case by the media or or whatever, whatever you're trying to search. I can't imagine how frustrating that is for families. Oh, yeah. It 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 doesn't make sense to me. I mean, yeah, putting yourself in that position like this is about my child and I need to know what you're doing about that. Right. Not in an attachment to somebody else's case. It's not a group situation. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure that the families probably have some updates on what's going on with their cases. And and these cases are from the late night or late eighties, early nineties. So I'm sure there is some information that has been given to the families, but when you search for it, that does not come up. Mm. And, and that's a huge missed opportunity, I think by everybody. So very frustrating when I was looking at that. So Missy disappeared after attending the annual fair in September of 1992, and she's not been located to this day, remains anything at all. I don't, I didn't really want to replay the same old information that's on, you know, out and available on this case. That's just all there is. There, there are no new leads. There's no new information. It's just gone cold. So I do want to look more into some of the information that doesn't make sense to me and to discuss why the investigation went so sideways due to basically to lack of police involvement and interest in the case. So this is a local case that is pretty well known in the greater Tacoma area, but it's also garnered some national interest as well. At one point it was on Crime Stoppers. It was on America's Most Wanted. They were you know, looking for any information in the 90s for this that went nowhere. It's a case that's discussed on many podcasts, many true crime blogs, has a large Reddit thread that if you really want to, you can go through down the rabbit hole on that one. Um, I spent a few hours on that. It was just overwhelming. The goal here is not that we're magically going to give you some new information. It's it's that somebody, maybe somewhere will hear it and it will ring a bell and that it will get some new information to authorities. So as I mentioned, there are three disappearances and murders that lead up to and are possibly connected to the disappearance of Misty Copsey. The connection is a stretch. I'll get into that later on. For now, I'll give you the victim's information, what very little there is. So the first is Kim Delange. Kim was last seen outside of a video game arcade and is what um, is now known as the Fred Meyer Shopping Center down in um, like downtown Puyallup. Oh, I used to hang out at that arcade. So the Hi-Ho Shopping Center, does that um, sound familiar to you? No, but the arcade okay. in that area, there was like a dollar movie theater there oh. as well. Okay. I used to hang out there, yeah. So that was her last known place to to be was that um, arcade. So she was last seen on July 15th, 1988. And then her body was found one month later on August 20th along Highway 410 close to, I'm going to, I'm going to murder it again, Enumclaw. Enumclaw. Okay. On August 14th, 1990, Anna Chabotnoy was last seen in the same strip mall outside that same arcade as Kim was. Her body was not found for over a year, and she was found in September of 1991. Her body was just 100 yards away from where they found Kim's. Both of those girls were 14 at the time of their death. Outside of being linked to Misty Copsey's disappearance because of their age and where they were found, there's literally no information on on anything else about them. Then I also found a report of an unidentified female body found Days before Anna would be found, she was found on September 11th. 
The remains were found 10 miles east of Enumclaw, near Highway 410. And the medical examiner believed that she was African-American, would have been around maybe 17 to 24 years old. But she had been dead two years when her remains had been found. Like I said, I don't know if there's a connection, but due to the location and her age. Seems likely. Seems likely. So their murders are all still unsolved to this day. There is connection because of where, how close Kim and Anna were found. But like I said, that third female, maybe not. And were there any similarities in the suspected way that they died? That's the thing. There's no information. I couldn't find anything that said this was the condition of their bodies. These were the injuries that they had. This is how they died. What was located with their remains, clothing, anything like that. So they were slacking there as well. I it, it just wasn't released, I guess. Or if that information was was released, it's it's kind of hard to find some of the news reports from the 90s for mm-hmm. some reason. I'm sure I could find it if I had all day hours to do it. Right. I, I know that you can request police re- records, which at some point I might do, yeah. honestly, yeah. just to maybe be able to provide an update. And, and especially on that unidentified female, I'm really curious to see what the coroner's report said. The idea of an unidentified woman still to this day is terribly sad. It is. I mean, there are lots of, of new things that they use technology-wise right. to find these people. There's a backlog still. There's rape kits that still haven't been processed, even with this new technology. I don't think Washington is one of the states that has that issue, but I know that there are, that is still an issue. So I don't know what evidence they have to even try to process these. It, right. There's just no information. Right. So let's get into Misty's case that does have the information. 14-year-old Misty and her friend Trina wanted to go to the Puyallup Fair in September of 1992. And around here, the fair is a big deal. Very big deal. It's a fucking big deal. Yeah. I mean, kids get out of school early. They get free tickets now. Wait, I don't know if it, it always Was- was. Did you call it the Washington State Fair? No, I said it was the Puyallup Fair yes. because back then it was not the Washington it sure State wasn't. Fair. Yeah. No. Nope. I actually researched on the wiki page for the fair. Oh, and it yes. told you that it was the Puyallup Fair. And it yeah. did tell me that. It was yeah. a big deal when they changed that for us. I bet. We yeah. would we refuse to call it the Washington State Fair. Yeah, no, it's still they still say do the Puyallup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't I didn't get. I was like, what Puyallup what? <laughs> that you're not finishing the sentence. Like there's more information that's the Puyallup. The Puyallup. <laughs> All right, so Misty and her friend Trina, they get to the fair. They arrange the details of their trip with their parents. Misty's mom, Diana, was set to drive them there, but she couldn't give them a ride home because she had to work that night. Mm-hmm. However, she agreed to let Trina's parents think that she was going to be picking them up. There's, I mean, as much as I don't want to shame another mom on her yeah. decisions because it's it's personal. You do what you do because that's best and that works for you. Mistake number one right there. Oh, yeah. There's kind of an unwritten code. I feel like you don't knowingly lie to another parent. So the plan related to Diana was really that they were going to get a ride or take the bus home. And she said, "Okay, fine. You know, you get this one chance. If this screws up, nothing like this will ever happen again. Which is just right there. Right. Last words. I mean, yeah, I'm sure looking back on that conversation, the guilt that, you know, follows her just from saying those words. Right. Just, just from this, this, the yeah. get go, this situation. Yeah. And then you, you say those words and it's almost like you spoke into fruition. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just really sad. Well, then you're deceiving the other girl's parents 
you're, I mean, I put myself in that situation and I think immediately I'd have a gut check. Like you're lying to the parents and you're also saying if this goes wrong, like maybe not really, you know, leading up to leaving your kid in a downtown area. Right. You know, those things aren't really making you feel yeah. comfortable necessarily about that situation, but right. I guess she did enough to actually I, do yeah. it. I, you know, it was the nineties. There was, it was the nineties. <laughs> it was the nineties. I I just roamed all over the place sometimes. Yeah. 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 I know you, you and I kind of had similar Bryce, like where you just were out hanging out and came home when you needed to be. Nobody knew where you were. No. That's the way it was. My, well, my dad, uh, it was a trust system. Right. He's like, what time are you going to be home? Right. One. Right. But you know, if you said you're going to be home at one, be home at one, don't be home at one Oh one AM or, He's a, he always told me, I don't care what time you say. You could say four o'clock in the morning, but be home at four o'clock. So. Yeah, which I mean, we've kind of done with the girls. I'm, I'm not okay with 4 a.m., but, you know, there have been times where they said, okay, can I stay out until midnight? And most of the times they were home before midnight. But yeah, don't come in at 12.01. That's, you, you done fucked up. <laughs> right, right. Well, it depends on the situation, depending on what they're going to be doing. Right. But yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely in the 90s we were... Just running around. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there was no way yeah, to find I, anybody. I grew up no. there and like, I would take off to San Francisco, like me and my friends there, you know, it was, we're 17, 16 years old and we're going to San Francisco, you know, the big city. And my parents didn't care, you know, now it's, I'm like, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Who are you with? Mm-hmm. What's the phone number there? Turn mm-hmm. on your location. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't now I'm nosy nancy for sure yeah. all the time yes. oh i don't know that person who's that person right i don't like the way they looked mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. mm-hmm. <laughs> the girls the girls kind of roll their eyes but they know it's that's just what you do it's just what you do as a parent yeah yeah you yeah. have to interrogate a little bit right yeah unless you want me to come looking for you well don't yeah that's a whole <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> So, all right. So the girls get back to the fair. They enjoy their time. And when it gets late enough to start to worry about how they're going to get home, that's about 845 that night. Misty made a phone call to her mom. It would be the last phone call that her mom got from her saying that the girls missed their bus to get home. Ironically, the payphone that she called from was just outside the Puyallup Police Department. Oh, literally just, you know, a couple blocks away from the fair. From the fairgrounds. And so she had walked right though. there. She, they had walked to try to meet the bus, which is on the backside. I think she was meeting the bus on the backside of, of the fair. But the, the, is the, it police, the station is now still. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's a little yeah, bit of a Yeah. So they had walked down that way for whatever reason. Maybe that's where they found the payphone. I'm not really sure what the, what the reason, the was, reason for was for, there. for leaving the fairgrounds, there had to have been payphones all over that fairground. There had to have been. And, and the also, bus stops right there. Right. Yeah. And so we're assuming that the two girls walked there together and made the phone call or they, they were did. already. Okay. Yeah. No, they did walk there together. So her mom can't leave work. She is a caregiver for a patient that has Alzheimer's. Absolutely cannot leave her job. Mm. Yeah. So she says to Misty, you need to get a ride from a friend or a family member, call your grandma, call, you know, call somebody and get get your butt home. And then when you figure this out, you need to call me back and let me know that you got it figured out. Misty says that, you know, she is going to call her friend, this guy, Ruben Schmidt, who can come and get her. Diana says, no, don't call him. I don't like him. So he's this 18 year old guy that they knew from their old neighborhood before they moved to Spanaway. 
he is creep. Yeah, so is he suspect number one? He is suspect number one, yes. Um, she doesn't trust him, and he he literally is the first strong suspect. When he's an right 18 year old picking up a 14 year old. Right. Hanging out constantly with a 14 year old and probably has some bad intentions towards oh, yeah. that 14 year old that the mom picked up on. At 14, you're in this sense, full sense of adulthood impending adulthood and the attention that you might get from a guy whether she was interested or not and I don't know that she was the attention that you could possibly get from an older guy who has a car Mm -hmm. is like street cred yeah it doesn't matter if you're interested or not in that person right you immediately feel cool riding around in a car Exactly. Diana was like, yeah, no, don't don't call him. So after getting home the next day and finding that Misty is not home, Diana calls 911 immediately. And she is told that she has to wait 30 days before filing a missing persons report. I am not sure where that jurisdiction falls for her 911 call. I'm going to assume that it was Pierce County. I don't believe that Spanaway had its own police department at that time. 30 days? 30 days. I thought it's like 24 hours. Well, it turns out that that's false information that she finds out later. But just to be told that right off the bat already, you're calling because your child that you know should be home is not home. To have somebody say, well, sorry, you got to wait 30 days. I cannot imagine the panic that would ensue then, because what the fuck do you do? Well, and who else do you call? Right. It's the police department telling you that. Right. where's the empathy from the police officers? Well, none. Right. With this 14-year-old girl, like, I could understand if it's like, hey, my girlfriend ran off or my... right. Whatever, but right. this is a 14-year-old child. Even if she's a runaway, it, it deserves to be looked into. Right. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So she's panicking. She starts to call everybody that she can think of to see if Misty contacted them. Did she ask you for a ride? Do you know where she is? Is she with you? Nobody knows anything. She tries to reach Trina and it's a school day. So she ends up you know, not getting an answer. She drives by. She leaves a note like taped to the door. Call me ASAP. I need to talk to you. Where's my daughter? And then around 1.30 in the afternoon, she kind of exhausts everything that she can think of to do. She revisits going to the police. She actually goes to the Pierce County Sheriff Department and she asks for help. She was finds out she's misinformed about the 30 days and that she's able to file a report However, they are not the agency that has jurisdiction because Misty went missing in Puyallup. Diana needs to file a report with the Puyallup Police Department. Which she's tried to do. I, I'm not sure if that's where she called first or not. I'm really not. It doesn't say that. I, I feel like I know Graham is the same situation. And I think probably in this area would be the same situation because it's not Puyallup proper. Spanaway would have reverted to some county entity, I think, at that at that point. Because now if we were to call 911 from, you know, say like Graham, you're going to get the Pierce County Sheriff. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling that she got a county entity. I just don't know if where where it was and who told her that misinformation. It's, it's very interesting, though, and it comes into play with some information that they find on later on. And so the friend still hasn't spoken up about anything. No. So at this time, she's probably just ending her school day and about to get home so, when, so when she I'm did that. So I'm very curious what, yeah. what she has to say and what her role is in that. She's just been, right. you know. Yeah. We'll revisit that. 
there's there's a lot of information getting, that I'm getting ahead of you here. It gets very no, but that's natural questions. That's you would natural ask. questions, yeah. you know yeah. I mean? exactly. It's yeah. not like mm-hmm. it's not like you're just reaching grabbing for straws. It's mm-hmm. like that's the question I would have had too. Where's right. her friend? Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. And why haven't you said anything? And I wouldn't right. have written a note. I'd have been banging on that door, going to her mom's work, like going to the school. Hey, yeah. I need to talk to this kid. Right. No, I I do feel like I probably would have gone to the school and asked to. Yeah to see if anybody knew where she was or did you see her at the fair? I, Yeah, with or without police involvement, I do feel that that would have been something that I thought to do and probably would have done in a panic. Yeah, and this Reuben kid too. Where's he at? Right, so okay. So we're getting to to that. So she uh, gets on the phone again after she files. She files a report with him. They take it, but they don't, they're not going to do anything with it because Puyallup Police Department needs to hand over the jurisdiction to them for them to get involved. Okay. So it's kind of on pause, even though they have it. And even um, the woman that took the report later on goes to her superior and says, there's something off with this report. I do feel that we need to look into this. So it's on their radar. Yeah. So then she gets home and she starts getting on the phone again. She calls Ruben and she, you know, is, where's my kid? Did you pick her up? Did you not pick her up? He says that Misty called him. But he didn't have the gas to spend to be able to pick her up. He, so he didn't have gas and he didn't have gas money. So when Trina gets home from school, she calls Diana back. Trina says she doesn't know where Misty is and last saw her waiting at the bus stop to get home. The two parted ways and Trina walked back home to Sumner instead of figuring out a ride. Sumner is not necessarily far, but it's far to walk. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's far to walk at 10 o'clock at night if you're yeah. a 14-year-old. Yeah, that seems... That to me would have sent red flags and it doesn't for whatever reason. And, and again, we're kind of jumping the gun because as parents, I think these are the natural questions that are going to come up because we're thinking, okay, I've, I've looked at this resource. I didn't get any information. I'm going to go to my next resource. And Diana, for whatever reason, cannot, I, there's a lot, there's just a lot that, comes out just so painfully slowly in this case. She's She doesn't know what to do with that. For whatever reason, she makes another call to Ruben. This time, Ruben doesn't answer. His roommate answers, the roommate by the name of James Tinsley. James tells Diana that he was there when Misty called Ruben. He claims that Ruben left with his uncle a few minutes afterwards to go pick her up after Misty called. So he and his uncle were going to go pick Misty up. Why, why That's what the uncle? roommate is, is has in his head is what happened. Maybe because the uncle had a car that had gas. Right. Yeah, maybe. yeah. She asks to talk to Ruben. He's not home. So after a while, she calls back a third time. She demands to know, where's my kid? And Ruben says the roommate got it wrong. He just went with his uncle to a party, but he didn't pick up Misty up and he doesn't know where she is. And I mean, that's just that. He, he's like, I don't know. I can't help you. Diana then starts looking at what she can do and she starts putting flyers together asking, you know, with a picture of Misty, asking for any information, somebody to call her with any information about where she is or if they've seen her, if they saw her at the fair. And she starts getting these random phone calls over the next few days from all sorts of creepy fucks that, you know, come out of the woodwork when they think I don't, it just, if you think you're going to get money for a reward or um, he, she got a phone call from some guy that 
said in return for sexual favors, he would return Misty. He didn't have Misty. It's just, it's sick. That's very sick. Right. And Diana has an issue and I'm not judging her in any way. She, she has an issue with alcohol. She previously had had some DOIs and she basically was a functioning alcoholic. So during this time, I, I'm sure that she's drinking heavily and it, it kind of is, is alluded to in some of the reports, especially some of the police reports that she's just constantly drunk. Mm. I have a feeling that that plays into why she pursues certain avenues and not others. So she didn't actually make it to the police department to file a report until like six days after Misty was wow. missing. So she's a little scatterbrained to say a little bit. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And you know, she hasn't heard anything. She doesn't know I- anything. And she talking to Trina, talking to Ruben, no information there. It's a dead end. So she also starts contacting like local news outlets to get the word spread since she felt like the sheriff wasn't doing anything for her. But the sheriff told her, go to the police department. You need, it's not our jurisdiction. Go yeah. to the police department. The sheriff will handle runaways. She, If you're claiming she's not a runaway, you need to go to the police department. She manages during this time though to track down the bus driver who was the last confirmed sighting of Misty. Oh, So he claims that Misty was at a bus stop and he had stopped, but it wasn't going her way. So she said, when is the last stop going, you know, when's the last bus going to Spanaway? And he said that there are no more. It's done. That line is done for the night. But if you go to Tacoma and then switch over to another bus through Parkland, you can get to Spanaway. It's it's presumed that she didn't do that. Um, but he said that that was the conversation. That was the information that he gave to her. If you need to get to Spanaway, you can hop the next bus that goes to Tacoma, switch over, get a bus to Parkland, and it'll take you to Spanaway. It, it's not known and if she did that or not. are there any video surveillance at the police station or in the like anywhere that's caught her at all? Or it's just the I don't think they had anything his... like that in yeah. in that at that time in the nineties. Yeah. I don't think there was anything like that. I don't know, even know if the police department would have had their own surveillance. That's what I was thinking, that yeah. payphone outside the station. They were able to trace that call from through phone records. But yeah, there's no pictures of her, no surveillance. The fair didn't have surveillance. It's not like nowadays where you right. can see people walking down no. the street for blocks because no. of surveillance. Yeah. yeah. I just had this conversation with my coworker, how like video doorbells have made surveillance cool. Like everybody has cameras now and we're, you know, before we were like, oh, I don't want you recording me, but now everyone is, yeah. has one yeah, and everyone's okay with it. But right. I remember in the nineties, they're like, no, don't like only oh, yeah. banks had right. security cameras, but now Even that was has one. not necessarily outside. It was more inside. Sometimes they would have it above the door, but yeah. that was about it. I just remember those big boxes with the yeah. steel cage and the yeah. glass in the front. Yeah. 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 It's, it's definitely. I do feel that, yeah, if this were to happen in this day and age, people still go missing. Don't get me wrong. It, it happens. Children go missing. But they, they probably would have had a little bit better of an idea of like tracing her steps. Right. Yeah. If that was. Yeah. So, yeah, Diana was the one who tracked down that bit of information. And at this point, she's OK. I've got to go to the police department. And she reports Misty as a missing person. And this is where I mean, if if you're looking at it to me, this is where everything goes sideways. This is where it should have gotten better and it just gets worse. 
The sergeant assigned to the case gives the bare minimum in the investigation to get any answers, aside from looking into some bullshit rumors that were spreading around the junior high that Misty attended. There was no initial legwork done. And these were two teenage girls who wanted to be popular. And one of them said that she got a phone call from somebody that she thought was Misty from Olympia saying that she was fine. And then another one said that they saw Misty at the fair about four days later for the Color Me Bad concert. Hmm. And both of these girls later on went on to say, when asked from the media years later, they just said it because they wanted to feel like they were part of this investigation and it was it got them some notoriety for a little while that you know, oh you heard from Misty oh my god right but the detective instead of asking teachers instead of asking family members instead of going out in the community and asking you know like the bus driver right. took took that or information was working at the fair at those door right. at the doors the gates on the way out right just literally went to the school with Diana talked to those two girls heard about the rumor from some other people didn't bother to investigate further. And it said that upon walking out of the school, the sergeant told Diana, your daughter's a runaway. I'm taking her off the missing persons list and we're not following up on this. What a bold presumption. Very much. So I mean, from two teenage girls, right. Accounts you, a police officer, right. Are, are stopping. You're stopping there. You're taking their word for it. Right. So, Diana is very frustrated as the police officer, you know, gives this information. He actually does an interview on a radio show that he claims that Diana knew exactly where Misty was and that this is a runaway case and there was nothing further that they were going to do. He he put this out on the radio as a, a statement that the police department was making. Gosh, that's kind I, of unbelievable. Really, yeah. really crazy to me. So the community, you know, kind of stops caring. And Diana, you know, had distributed all of these flyers while businesses started taking them down. And she, you know, is is then labeled as this kooky woman who for some reason is claiming her daughter's missing, but she knows exactly where she is. Well, and it's unfortunate that, you know, she did struggle with alcohol. Yeah. Because that's definitely not going to help your case. No, no, it it definitely did not. And, And another thing that didn't help the case was that as... That police officer started looking into Diana. There's some things that come up that put her in a bad light. So one of the things that I, I'm not going to focus on anything else, really, because it doesn't matter what her character is. This piece of information is important, though, and it leads to more questions for me. So for some reason, over the summer, Misty and Diana had had like a slight argument and Misty left the house. Diana, you know, for they're cooling off probably. And then when Diana goes to look for her, can't find her. So Diana calls 911 and files a missing persons report. And this happened just a few couple months, like over the summertime before she disappeared. Again, I don't know what entity received that call, but they took the report. And when the sergeant is looking into Diana, they find this report. It had never been closed. So for whatever reason, Diana was too embarrassed to call when she found Misty just sitting in her room later on that day. She didn't call and say, hey, my bad. It's a mistake. You know, close that out. I'm sorry that I wasted your time. Close that out. She doesn't do that. But also on the flip side that I don't understand is if a child is reported missing 
and they have to investigate it. And after 30 days, if it's presumed they're a runaway, after 30 days, they automatically go to a missing person. Mm. Why did nobody from the police or the sheriff, wherever she filed this first report, why didn't they contact her and said, hey, it's been over X amount of days. Have you heard from your daughter? Right. Who was on that case at all? Nobody. No. Nobody. So you want to tell me that this woman is is at fault for whatever you know her issue is and filing this report that was false. Why didn't you do your job? Right. Where is your follow through that should have happened after so many days of this being reported to you and no news? You didn't look into it. It was still out there, but you're going to hold it against her. Yeah. I don't understand the reasoning. So my my next question is, though, if she filed the report once, then didn't she know how it worked the second time? Well, I yeah. think going back to why the police are having a hard time dealing with this woman is because she's obviously shown signs of being quite scattered brained. Right. You know, she didn't file the report for what, six days? Right. With the police department. Right. So they're yeah. thinking if you're so worried, you right. know, so as much as I don't want to sit here and defend the the police department no. because I don't think that that's appropriate at all because they definitely should have continued to do their job right. to their yeah. full ability. But I guess you can see a little bit where like from the mom, it's like, you know, like I would have been there every day on their doorstep right. filing, you know, so it's unfortunate yeah. that she had that issue. And that's probably part of why, you know, nobody pushed on the case. No, I do think, I do think initially that is why nobody did. It just, it's, it's kind of like if anything could go wrong, it did. Yeah. And, yeah. and unfortunately it, it just did. Misty is officially taken off the missing persons list after that, you know, visit to the, the junior high where the sergeant listened to the reports of those two young girls. By doing that, the Puyallup PD was no longer in charge of the case. They labeled her a runaway, making her the sheriff's responsibility. So her mom just doesn't know what to do at this point. She doesn't know where to go. And then she gets caught up with a local conspiracist by the name of Corey Bobber. And I reluctantly add Corey to the suspect list just because he is a creepy guy. He's a creepy, mentally unstable person. But there is evidence um, on the night of the disappearance that he was actually in an altercation with a neighbor and he filed a report and it, that was about 1 a.m. So chances are of him being involved in the disappearance are, are slim. I'm not saying they're out of, of question, though. So in late October of 1992, Corey's mom had brought home one of the flyers that were circulating for Misty's disappearance and he immediately contacted Diana. He would eventually pull her into one of the craziest stories that I have actually heard that involves the Green River Killer, which okay. I've looked into that case. I know all sorts of shit about that case. This guy's theory on, on things is just, it's wacky do. So at that time, the Green River Killer had not been caught. He wouldn't be caught for 10 more years. Yeah. Corey told Diana about other missing girls, um, that is Kim and Anna, told her that he thought Misty was killed by the same person and would probably be found in the same area of Highway 410. He had a theory that he was trying to get people and the police to listen to. He had been bombarding the police for days, months, years, trying to get them to buy into his conspiracy theory of who the Green River Killer was. And he told her, I'm going to help you find your daughter. Hmm. At that point, she's desperate. And she says, sure. She's going to take the help. I'm, let me go ahead. So to me, when, that's like just a different level of psychic. 
let me help you find your daughter when we yes. all know it may not be true, but then this crazy guy is like, I'm going to help you find your daughter. Right. It gives her a little bit of hope. So she's just like, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. No, it, it definitely is. It's, and he knew it. The thing with this guy is he is just smart enough to be dangerous. Yeah. And he is smart enough to know where to go to get the information that he wants. Most conspiracy theories take this small truth to open a wider door. Yeah. I mean, it's the sliver of truth. Right. You know? And unfortunately, he ends up being right about a few things. Well, that's conspiracy theory. Yeah. Right. But he's also the only only person looking into it. So he, you're going to come across something if you're right. the only one searching right. for the answers. Right. Yeah. right. Which the police would have come across themselves if they had. If they had done mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. When we come back from the break, we'll get into the crazy rabbit hole that is Corey Volver and exactly how he helped and hurt the investigation in Misty's case. Do you love true crime? Do you love the 90s? Well, if you do, you'll love 90s Crime Time, the podcast. I'm your host, Simone. And on 90s Crime Time, I'll be reading about and discussing these chilling 90s crimes with you. And unlike the Columbine High School Massacre, the O.J. Simpson trial, and the Oklahoma City bombing, I'd like to talk about 90s crimes that you may or may not have heard about much in the national and worldwide media. Theft, kidnappings, murder are just some of the topics we'll talk about that happened in this crazy decade. So if the 90s and true crime is your thing, make sure you look out for new episodes of 90s Crime Time every Wednesday and Thursday on most podcast platforms. Check out the 90s Crime Time official Instagram page at 90s Crime Time and the official website at 90scrimetime.com. And I'll see you soon on the show. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So after Corey contacts Diana, she both thanks her luck for his help and questions how he knows so much about all of the case. And I, I just can't blame her for wanting to, you know, get wrapped up in his crazy. She wants answers and yeah. he's yeah. promising to give them to her. Well, and she's going to be desperate at that point, too. Yeah. She's going to take any help. Yeah, exactly. The police have written her off. Mm-hmm. There's there's no help coming from anywhere. And here's this godsend of this guy who calls and you know, has all of this information and is looking to other cases in the area. And, in you know, he he's just so assured in his information that it sounds good. Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds real good to her at that time. Even if she knows deep down, and I think at this time, this is when she started to lose hope that Misty would come home, that they might find her, but it, it wouldn't be alive. Yeah. And, and I'm sure at some point, you know, when you come to that realization, you're still half, you're half believing it. 
Yeah. There's still always going to be that hope until you find something definitive that your child's going to come home. Of course, which is why you need to know and have right. the closure because you'll never be able to move on. Right. You know. Right. And I I can't imagine. I just I can't imagine that no. scenario. No. So after they they talk and and these guys would start talking like daily for hours after their first conversation, the very next day, Corey begins contacting the police and they are well acquainted with him. They know all about this crazy guy. To this day, you can still search this guy. He has a Facebook and a Twitter. And I I quickly got on, quickly got off because it's just, it's <laughs> the crazy level is just too much for me. It's oh, wow. too much. If anybody's interested, he's out there. He's public. You you could find him. Corey Bobber. He's local. Still Don't forget that he, name. He yeah, local? he's local. Wow. Yeah. Still lives in the area? Yep. Wow. So the sergeant in charge at the Puyallup PD did not... He didn't even give Corey the chance to get into a story. They they knew that once this guy got rambling, it would be hours. You you could sit there listening to this guy and he would just go off. Which there might tangents. be a lot of truth in there. There might be some, you know, information. So hopefully, right. hopefully they gave him the time of day to at least. Um, no, not so not much. So much. Yeah. yeah. He, the sergeant quickly told him the case was in the sheriff's hands because now Misty was considered a runaway. He had closed that case. And after getting the name of that deputy, Corey called him and was told basically more of the same. She's a runaway. We're proceeding as if she's a runaway. That's, and that's it. We don't want to hear anything else, essentially. How just arrogant. That's just so crazy that they would do that. Yeah. So she doesn't have any idea really how dangerous this connection to Corey is going to end up being for her. Whatever credibility that she had, what little credibility that she had with the police, by associating with him, it's gone. Yeah. She gets lumped in with him. So he had been a nuisance to the local authorities and the Seattle police for a while at this point because he maintained that he had personal knowledge of the Green River Killer, who he was, and where he was at. So this is a former friend of his, a man named Randall Axiger. And because of his relentless insistence, this guy actually ends up on the short list as a suspect. I do remember reading his name when I was going through that research. There's absolutely nothing that connects him to the Green River killings other than he had inside knowledge that supposedly he overheard Auburn police, drunk off-duty police officer state, which was a piece of information that the public did not have regarding what we know now is Ridgeway, Gary Ridgeway was the killer, what he would do after um, like a bit of information without getting into detail. I, I don't want to rehash that. But what he would do to the bodies afterwards, a specific key bit of information that was not public knowledge. Mm-hmm. And because Randy Randall knew this information, Corey was like, well, you couldn't know that information. How do you know that information? That doesn't sound right. How would you know that? I want to know how Corey knew that he couldn't know that information. Right. Like, right, what, I don't right. understand. You're just as crazy sounding as this guy, Randy, for telling it to you. He, from that little bit of information, Corey wouldn't let it drop. He is following this guy. He had ex-girlfriends record conversations with this guy. He was trying to, uh, like, he would stake out his house and go through his garbage. He was just, he was trying to find any bit of information that he could because he was just so sure that this guy was the Green River Killer. Corey is obsessed. He was crazy about it. (laughs) He wouldn't let it go. 
And to this day, he maintains, even though they caught Gary Ridgway. <laughs> oh, and there, no, he's still, he's like, no, I, I don't buy that the evidence points to him at all. I still maintain that it's this Randy Axiger. No. Why are you not <laughs> no. like a detective or something, Corey, if you're so on the case? He claims yeah. that he's an unlicensed PI. Oh. Is what, yeah, he's. And I'm a secret astronaut. Right. Sure. An unlicensed PI. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is not a thing. <laughs> a, a guy who snoops in people's garbages. Basically. Yeah. 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 You're, That's you're, called a stalker. Yeah. Right. It's exactly. called creepy. Yeah. And I'm actually surprised that this guy, Randy, didn't like file charges against him. Yeah. He probably doesn't know who he is. That's the thing. No, he does. This is like they were former friends. And does he oh. know he's snooping in his garbage? I'm sure he would have to because he he did know at some point. Diana actually got this information and started calling him and started stalking him at one point oh, wow. because Corey had her so convinced that it was this guy. It, it's crazy. So I'm sure that this Randy guy knew that Corey was all over him. And I'm, I feel like they only added his name to the list because Corey wouldn't let it go. Yeah. And they, there well, and was then, no evidence. Then you do start get a little, getting a little curious. Why didn't you call the police Randy to report, right. you know, well, <laughs> funny thing now about Randy, Corey's getting me. I'm, I believe him. At some point, Corey is vindicated slightly because Corey is charged and arrested with raping two seven-year-old girls oh. and molestation charges. Seven. Seven-year-olds. Oh, Corey God. was or Randy? Was? Randy was. Randy. So was. there was a little bit of vindication there. That's why he didn't call the He's police. He's not the Green River Killer, though. Oh, but he is. But he Terrible. was doing some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a good guy. No. So I have to say he, he was spot on with, with this guy being a creep. Yeah. I believe you're a creep though, too. So it yeah. takes a creep to know a creep. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> well um, said. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the police were so fed up with Corey that when a neighbor informed them that he was a small time marijuana user and seller, they set up a sting to get him arrested and convicted on drug charges. They they were like, we got to get this guy away from us. Just get him we, out of here. He needs to be gone. Lock him up. Right. So on October 15th, 1992, police busted into the house and they arrested him. The account I read was hysterical. He's sitting at the table slurping soup out of a, with no spoon out of a saucepan. <laughs> And the police come in and they're like, put your hands up. And he was like, well, no shit, man. And what? <laughs> you know, I will show you a picture of this guy. We will post a picture of this guy because his mullet oh. is John Bon Jovi-esque to perfection in his mugshot. Really? Uh, I just, yeah. It, so it, he was a creep with good hair. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so then... You know, they start arresting him. They tell his stepdad who has a medical condition, like, okay, sir, you can sit down. We know that you have, we're aware of your medical condition. Just, you know, go back to re relaxing. And <laughs> they're arresting him. And when the stepfather, like, he was not concerned whatsoever. He says, you know, uh, quote, as to the possible amount of bail on Corey, when he was told it would be quite high, he replied, good, maybe he will not be back for a while. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I I guess that he wasn't that happy when Corey made bail the next day. Oh, he <laughs> so did make bail. He made fifty thousand wow. dollar bail. I don't know how. Maybe the mom. It doesn't say how. Mm. It didn't say how. I had to laugh though. That stepdad's like stepdad yeah, was not a fan. Take him. Maybe he'll be gone for a while. I won't have or to fuck with him for yeah, a little over bit. Over there slurping his soup. Yeah, <laughs> just get, get cracked him out of me here. up. So as nutty as Corey is, he actually managed to get some things right. He supported Diana when nobody else would. Nobody, she had nobody else. 
And he encouraged her to go to like support groups for, you know, other parents that are had missing children or grief groups. And he connected her with some groups in Tacoma and some people that he knew in Tacoma and, and helped her out in that way. Oh, that's kind of nice. I mean, he did do some things. He championed her, you know, in the media. The police made it sound like she was just this drunk woman who couldn't keep track of her kid and that Misty was going to come home any day. And he was the one who went out to his sources in the media and said, no, we are putting pressure on the police. They're not doing anything. They're not doing their job. I don't think he did it to the benefit of her. I do think it was to the benefit of him. Right. But he still did it. When he found a great platform to put himself up there and something real right. tangible to to in- investigate in his creepy right. way. Well, and I think probably some of his line of thinking, too, was, you know, I'm trying to if I can help her out and it ends the right way, then I can also use this oh, yeah. as a platform, like oh, you yeah. said, for the Green River Killer things that I'm or whatever suspecting. else I've got up my sleeve. Whatever else. Yeah. <laughs> he's- God, yeah. This guy is now on social media, so he doesn't actually have to go to the news. No. Oh, yeah. No, he's everywhere. Ugh. Yeah, and he, I mean, he's, there were recent posts that I read. I just, it's, yeah, it's, he's crazy. I can appreciate that you need some mental help, sir, is really what I should say. Now he's getting social media therapy. Yeah. He's just yeah. letting yeah. it all out there. Yeah. You don't have to leave your house. Yeah. It's there. So I'm curious, is there, yeah. is there family involved? Other family members, do, do any of Misty's, like, where's her dad, right. grandma, aunts, cousins, no, no one else? So there is, her dad lives out in, I think it was Buckley. Mm. He was not really involved in in her life. They had split, the mom and dad had split when she was just a baby. So they were going through that process before she was born. And it was finalized just when she was a few months old. She had primarily lived with her mom for most of that time. He wasn't really involved. You'd think yeah. that, I mean, regardless of, of that relationship, or the lack thereof, when she goes missing, that he would, right. you know, care. I, he, and help. he might have. I know that he did talk to the police about Diana, but he was not helpful in painting her in a better picture. It, whatever he said to them was more detrimental to their attitude towards her. Mm. The grandma is not really mentioned other than Misty could have called her for a ride. But then there is an aunt and an uncle that do go out and help when Diana, uh, eventually there are some search parties that happen mm, that I'm okay. going to get to. So okay. they do kind of pop up. Yeah. But I don't know. I, they may have been more helpful and it just is not put in the media because mm. all of the media is pretty biased yeah. against her. Yeah. They may have been really you know, there for her and there and Corey was just the the voice box. Yeah. And he was the one who got the attention. Well, yeah. And he definitely took advantage of that. Yeah. No, he definitely put himself out there on purpose and, and did that. So he may have made it that way too. He, he really did throw her for a loop. He may have excluded anybody else that she was going to get help from, honestly, just for the sake of him being in the limelight. Yeah. You know, him having that notoriety of, of being by her side. Right. Yeah. So this is big break. After he makes bail, he gets right back to the campaigning and the media. And, you know, the police are, are at this point not really sure why they care, but they're telling Diana to cut ties with him. And they kind of deal, make a wheel and deal with her. But after, you know, at this point, it's coming up the 30 days when she automatically goes to a missing person. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to have to take action, right? They tell her 
that they will Misty Misty's name will be added to the national and state missing persons list if Diana agrees to file a restraining order against Corey. And she I does. Well, and how is that there at all right. you know, up to them? Well, right. Yeah. We'll help you if you file a restraining right. order. If you cut ties with this guy, we'll we'll help you That's again. Bullshit. Yeah. It is Let's bullshit. Bargain for justice. Right. At this time, she knew that Corey was a little off. Uh, obviously, she knew that he was a little off. Yeah. But he was getting things done. Well, he's the only one who was helping her. Right. So why? I mean, I mean, I'm sure she had some feelings about that. Right. You know. So. She she does file that restraining order based on, you know, what the sergeant tells her to say, it sounds like. Keep in mind, they, they still don't do any actual police work. No one's been interviewed at this point. Nobody, nobody is getting interviewed. They haven't talked to Ruben. They haven't what talked to they Trina. Do? They haven't talked to anybody. What are they doing? Not much. Literally nothing. So, Taking care of Corey. Yeah. Right. The restraining order went nowhere. She, Diana didn't show up to the hearing. So it, it got denied automatically. And then she called Corey afterwards and she apologized and, oh. you know, was crying and saying they, I, I felt pressured to do it and I still need your help because they're not doing anything. Yeah. Corey managed to get information that uh, of a, the exact location of where Kim and Anna's bodies had been found on um, Highway 410. And he was so sure that Misty was out there. He started setting up a search party. Mm. So on November 11th, he and a friend searched Highway 410 for hours, coming up with nothing. Then on November 28th, a group of 25 people, including Diana and some family members, searched at nearby milepost 30 on the highway for hours. Again, they find nothing. And like I said, the months pass and the police don't do anything. During this time, there's a possible suspect that comes to the attention of the public after an incident so it's a 15-year-old girl was walking home. God only knows why at two o'clock in the morning, she stopped in at a convenience store, got some gum. She's walking home. This asshole with a beat up red Camaro pulls up next to her and starts shouting out prices to her. Oh. 20 bucks if you let me do stuff above the waist. And she says, no, she's, you know, no, leave me alone. She tries to run off in some bushes. He pulls over the car. He gets her, holds her at knife point. They drive off to a secluded area. Eventually, he does rape her. And he takes her out of the car and he pushes her down about a 20-foot ravine, oh. hoping that she's dead. And she's not. He drives off thinking he's gotten away with whatever. And she crawls up that ravine. She walks a couple of miles to the nearest house and gets help. And she files a report. In that report, she tells them that she had actually opened a piece of her gum and dropped a wrapper in his car mm. and that she had details of his car. They find the person. So the man in question is Robert Hickey. He was arrested five days later based off of her statement and her quick thinking. He is convicted of first degree rape and serves time in prison. What wasn't known is that he was looked at as a possible suspect for Misty's case. Really? And how, how did they track him down? What, so what led them to that? Based off of where he, he t had taken that girl oh. because it was so close to the fairgrounds and um, her age. They were looking at what else might be connected. So his rap sheet is in Misty's file. They don't even question him. They don't even question this guy. To, to see if he knew anything about the disappearance. He was never talked to. How easy is that for them to do? How like, easy was that? They had him. Yeah, he's right there. Right. 
that doesn't come out until years later. When it almost seems like they're deliberately not doing it. Like they see the opportunities come and they right. ignore it for what to spite her mom like how i think to spite Corey, more like it but how do you like how do you justify that how do you justify that right you know it's just a simple yeah. like you you you, you want to trust your police when you hear things like this it's like man they're just people who have their own feelings and emotions and let them affect sometimes you know their professional decisions unfortunately very much so yeah yeah it was kind of weird to read that. And then you you didn't do yeah. anything. That was just January after she had disappeared in September. Mm. So if you have the possibility of somebody driving around that area doing that. Right. Would you not look at that? Because you don't have a body yet. You have nothing. Right. You have no leads. That's a lead. Yeah. It, it's ridiculous. So there's no follow up there. Meanwhile, Corey is going crazy trying to figure out what he's missing in the case with Misty. Why can't he find her? And he starts asking more questions and he realizes that the team of volunteers, they were looking on the wrong side of Highway 410. So they had searched the north side. The two girls were found on the south side. So opposite side of the highway. So on February 7th, 1993, another search is formed. This time, unfortunately, or fortunately, they find something. And at this point, Misty had been missing for 143 days. They hadn't questioned anybody so far. They had these leads that they didn't follow up on. They find clothes that she had been wearing that are confirmed by Diana that she was wearing in a pile of debris near a gated entrance to a trucking road off of Highway 410. She had borrowed her mom's jeans to go to the fair that night and because they were like designer Mm -hmm. jeans. And they were a little bit too long for her because her mom was tall, but she was tall. She was like five, eight, five, nine oh, at wow. 14 years old. Oh, she was tall. Gosh. She rolled up the cuffs to make them fit, which was the style then too. Mm-hmm. And she was wearing Navy socks to match a Navy sweatshirt that she had and some tan like boots kind of that she was wearing. They find the socks, a pair of underwear and the jeans and in this pile of debris mm-hmm. and nothing else. You would think that this would get some attention. She's still considered a runaway. They are just deliberately not looking at yeah. this information. Just a half naked runaway. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just shed my bottom half and right. kept on going. Yeah. And they, there was talk of maybe she had packed a bag and so she changed her clothes. Wouldn't her mom have told you she took a, a fucking packed backpack or, or even so, her friend or her maybe. friend? Yeah. Well, they haven't talked to the friend yet. Oh, that's right. So wouldn't, you bring wouldn't the bag, mom have said like she had a duffel bag with her? She had a backpack with her. Right. No, she had her purse. Yeah, because she dropped her off so that they right. wouldn't, she wouldn't have had anything else. But so also like, if you have a change of clothes, you're not going to leave your other change of clothes on the side of the road. Right. And put them back in your bag. Exactly. The the assumptions on the part of this, whatever, whoever's right. not looking into it is just so silly. They're incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it made no sense to me. No. No 14 year old girl is going to leave a good pair of jeans on I the side know. of the road. Mm-mm. That's gold. Yeah, <laughs> that's gold, yeah. especially when they're your moms and you know, you need to return them. Well, and also you're like super happy about being able to wear them. I mean, right. Yeah, that's just doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. So just like that, you know, Diana's devastated. But the accounts of the day are that Corey is just over the moon excited because he found this evidence. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he brought them to it. He's the one that figured it out. Now he's going to get like some recognition, right? He's he's going to be 
He's going to be the guy. He's the man that saves the day. He's going to be up there yeah, right. in, in front of everyone telling him this and right. telling him that. Yeah. And he's hoping that it goes well for him with his sentencing hearing for all his you know, drug charges yeah. <laughs> and that they're going to remember this. This also, though, gets a third entity involved. So the King County Sheriff is now involved because that is technically their jurisdiction out there. I didn't know that. I thought oh. that still would have been Pierce County, but it's not. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So King County is now involved. And so that's three agencies that are involved in this case. You would think one of them is going to get it right. Two, yeah. One out of three. Yeah. yeah. No, no, not happening. So if Corey thought the authorities were going to be grateful for his help and start to take him seriously, he was mistaken. They actually started to look closely at why he had been so lucky in finding those clothes. Oh, and they start, you know, wondering, well, why did he pick that location for the search? Because it wasn't quite where the other two were missing. Mm -hmm. It was actually a little ways away from where the other two were missing. Then they start to mistrust Diana because of Corey even more. And they actually, at one point in an interview with media, she is asked if she plants those clothes, if she planted those clothes. The mom, they asked them. They mom. asked the mom during a media like interview while she's right. trying to get information out there about her missing daughter. Somebody says, well, did you plant the clothing? I mean, it does. You, I do see the connection in the question with Corey though. I do with Corey. Right. I don't with her. No, no. I, I mean, I she's don't just get thinking it. that someone's here to, right. I, I think that's very, you know, innocent, but on his part, his push to be that person who knows things right. and finds out the details, what better way to do that than right. to actually perform that act and then pretend like you're looking around and looking here mm -hmm. and coming there and then you right. stumble upon. So, I mean, I get that. But, I mean, at the same time, I, they I didn't. I don't get do it for her. No. No. Yeah. No, I don't think. I, I wouldn't think that. No. The thing is, he actually, like I said, because he is the only one looking, he's the one that thought to ask, where yeah. were the other two girls found? Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah. If this is connected, let's start there. Of course, he is the one in his head that connected it. I mean, he's the one that, that is trying to say, because he's maintaining that these two girls were killed by the Green River Killer. Mm. He did go out into that area. So I'm not going to say that it's it's not a plausible thought. They were not his type. They were not sex workers. They were not known sex right. workers. Right. And if I could find their cause of death, I think I would find a definitive that is not him, his MO. Yeah, that's a curious thing. Yeah. I would like to know what, you know, because yeah. then you could either connect them. Right. Or I just out. just the fact that the two were found. He did like to place bodies in one area and then come back to them. Mm -hmm. So that that I could see was another maybe. But he only picked up sex workers and runaways. Neither one of those girls was listed as such. Right. That was yeah. his that was the only because he was comfortable with that. Yeah. That was his yeah. M.O. Yeah. So, I mean, Corey's thinking if anybody with a, a thought in their head put any of that together, they would have come across that thought, too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's really ridiculous. So during, you know, during this time, Corey gets sentenced. He ends up serving 14 months in prison while he's in prison. The police, you know, go and try to get information from him about these cases now they're interested all of a sudden yeah, and they want why? him to provide information to them. He's basically, he's like, screw you. 
this is my information. This is me. I'm, I've been doing all of this. You guys haven't cared. Well, I'm not giving you them, anything. I'm sure. And why to, should he? Yeah. You know, yeah. why should he? I don't blame him at all for not wanting to hand that over. That's his hard earned information, be it right or wrong. Even if it's crazy information, that's his information that he has gathered. You haven't bothered to look into this case. You haven't bothered to talk to people and, and do these interviews or, or even pursue a line of questioning that could have gotten you to any of this information. You haven't done it. So why am I going to give it to you? Well, now it's unfortunate because it seems like now they've got their own separate issue and situation between Corey and the police department where they're now, you know, he's like, no, I'm not giving you this information because I don't like you. And because right. you put me in jail <laughs> right. and because of X, Y, and Z reason when, right. if they did combine their knowledge or, or, you know, we're right. willing to work together, chances of her being found are obviously much greater. Who knows what could have happened. Right. But I now mean, they've got this spiteful thing between them. And right. so they're not going to, they don't yes, want to be in cahoots. Well, yeah. and the police reluctantly even go and ask him for this because now that the clothing has been found and King County's involved, the pressure's on. Yeah. King County's a big name. Yep. So they know they need to start putting something out. There's yeah. got to be some effort. Yeah. So they're feeling the pressure, I'm sure. And But they don't, they reluctantly go and ask him that. They don't want to talk to him. They yeah. don't want his information. Finally, after the clothing is found, police take a statement from Trina. Gah. It took them this long. So Trina being Misty's friend mm. who went to the fair with her. Yeah. She confirms the clothing is that was found was Misty's and that she was last seen wearing it. And she confirms that Ruben Schmidt was supposed to give them a ride home. When they start making phone calls around 8 p.m., they can't get a hold of him. And when they do, he claims he has no gas and no money, so he can't give them rides. Misty then told him on a second call that if he went to her house, she could tell him how to get in and she could tell him where some money was so that he could get gas. He good, says he good, doesn't good. even have enough gas to get to her house. Hmm. And he says, I can't come and give you a ride. So Trina claims that, you know, from there, she blames Ruben for the circumstances of Misty disappearing that night. She then claims that they tried to call her friend, Mike Reiner, who's a 23-year-old that she knows. Why are all of their friends right? grown men? <laughs> yeah, That's what, what I'm saying. I mean, and it's no wonder, and this may sound a little insensitive, but... I mean, look at their who these girls right. are talking to. Their their friends are going to pick them up. No wonder she went missing. Who else was she involved I mean, with of, or talking to? Or yeah. Yeah. who knows who came through to actually pick her up? I, I, that's the thing. I I don't know when I terrifying. when I got this information. I was like, oh my god, do they know anybody their age? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it it just <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, all the adults that are involved in this are just they're crazy. Mm. So she so she says she's, you know, called her friend Mike. The line was disconnected. So it was after that that they called Diana and said that, you know, they they're not going to make it on the bus. And then Trina from there says, you know what, I'm not that far from home. I'll just start walking. That seems I, I just so... don't even know. Yeah. And that she said she gave Misty some extra money to, try, you know, try to figure out the bus situation or if she had to call a cab. That she had some extra money to help her out. Well, but why wouldn't they walk to her house together if it was so walkable? That's what I'm Go saying. Go to her house and use her phone, obviously. Right. Yeah. Or or get, you know, her mom right. to help you out. I mean, I get when you're a teenager, you're well, like, I don't want to get in trouble for this situation. That's the that, thing. Right. But then, yeah, I mean, I guess I get it. You're, you're not going to necessarily at 14 years old weigh out like, this is really dangerous what I'm right. deciding to do. But you're like, I just don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. Right. No, because the big thing on your head is I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. yeah, Not the possibilities of what the scary shit is out there. 
that's wouldn't you be a little scared at night like that? I would young, be freaking out yes I could yeah even to this day I still don't like being out after it's dark I, mean, I get a little not paranoid alone walking around yeah definitely yeah. the other thing too is that even as a parent and if one of the girls would have called me from the friend's house, you right. know, being out that late, I'd have been like, okay, at least I know you're safe. I'll right. come get you. Right. right. You might be in trouble, yeah, but, but maybe no, not as much because you called me. Yeah. Always said safe. that to the girls. Always, you know, I, I don't care what the circumstances in. You can't expect me not to be upset and disappointed, right, right. but you can bet, bet your bottom dollar I'll be there if you yep. need a ride or you, need, you honestly, have yeah. a situation. Right. I will show up for you mm-hmm. no matter what it is. I don't even care. Tell me you've been drinking all night exactly. and you're 15 years old and you shouldn't have been there and you shouldn't have been doing it. I'm going to come and get you. Yep. And we'll have a discussion. And I'll probably be a little less upset because right. of the fact that you made that decision not to go and get in the car right. with somebody who was drunk and et cetera, et yes. cetera, all these different options. So you're going to be, you know, not scot-free, but call me. We'll be all, you'll be all right. <laughs> right. The, yeah. the the circumstances, the outcome of that mm-hmm. is, is going to be a lot better for you oh, yeah. if I if I have to, you know, field mm-hmm. a completely different scenario. Yeah. Thing two, um, and maybe some of the, the reason why I relate to this a little bit too is because my mom did work at night Mm -hmm. and that affords you so much freedom yeah that you can get into bad situations real quick yeah and i have a a feeling and again i don't know from all accounts misty is a great student a great kid she was very straight and narrow and didn't look for trouble but it doesn't mean that it doesn't find you yeah as many times as I could have been in a bad situation when my mom is at work and I, I wasn't for whatever reason, it's luck of the draw. Yeah. And maybe she had been previously in a bad situation and gotten herself out of it. So there was no reason to think that she couldn't get herself out of this one. Right. And I, I have a, a just kind of a gut inclination as somebody who has a similar experience being raised by a single mom who mm-hmm. worked at night. That might be the case. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't you think you can figure it out? Because you've done it before. Right. One well, and like you uh, mentioned earlier when we were talking that you know fourteen year olds feel that impending independence and adulthood right. even more so when you're so independent every evening right by yourself you right. know making your own decisions about what you're gonna do yeah, yeah. it it definitely is something to think of and of course there's there's just no good answer there's no, no way of knowing no but also I don't know how yeah. straight and narrow she was with an eighteen and a twenty three year old friend yeah. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she seemed, you know, she portrayed that straight and narrow to a point, but she had sort of a, a yeah, a little bit of a other. I'm not life. victim yeah, blaming, maybe. but no, but there. I mean, yeah, she did know of these people. Yeah, yeah, and by all accounts, like Ruben would come over, and then because he knew that the mom didn't like him, he would leave before she got home. So yeah, you're you're not making the best choices when your wonder, judgment is very flawed at that yeah. age i wonder where she went that other time that she ran away or was kicked out you mentioned that her and her mom right. had that situation they had a, so like where a little was, bit of an argument yeah that i'm not sure where she went or how long she was gone it was just kind of she was there that afternoon in her room yeah. and yeah and yeah the mom just kind of maybe thought she overreacted and she was embarrassed by that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you think like, you know, even just sitting here talking about it for a little bit, you think of a million things like, you know, you need to go interview, thoroughly interview, not just friends, classmates, teachers, right. anyone right. who was in contact with her on a semi-regular basis or or saw her. Who right. did she talk to? Who did you see her with? Then continue on from there. I mean, right. No, because you, basic. you didn't have a good picture of who she was. Exactly. You're basing her... 
off of her mom. Off of her mom. Yeah. Or off of the situation of her upbringing, mm-hmm. off of, you know, anything else that you can think of or any of your preconceived notions of what a 14-year-old would do. And you're not looking at the actual person Mm-mm. to paint a picture of what Mm-mm. they may or may not do. Because I guarantee you, if they had gone and, and talked to any of her teachers or any of the family or friends that she had that actually knew her, they would have gotten a clear picture as to, okay, so if you're, you know, it's 9 p.m. and you know you don't have a ride, what would she maybe have plausibly done? Right. Is there anybody that she knew in that downtown area that Other she could walk to? Guy, right. Who else me? Right. She called? Yeah. Who else would she have maybe contacted? Who else can we get in, in contact with that the mom doesn't know about? Yeah. You know, you're relying solely on the information that the mom has given you too. Yeah. You haven't looked. Even them questioning Trina is still not the full picture. So from there, you know, the information that was important and, and could have helped him months ago is, is just basically piecing together the timeline. Mm-hmm. It's not really pertinent information to try to pinpoint where she is. It just helps them pinpoint Trina's last knowledge of where she was. So Diana then starts putting pressure on the police to interview Ruben. She's like, why? Why have you guys done this? He told me that he talked to her and I told you that information. Why haven't you contacted him? So they do. He evades the police actually for a little while and he knows that they're looking for him. Not really good look, Ruben. Right. Owner of the restaurant where Ruben works tells police that Ruben has been running his mouth off about Misty and that he says that he knows what happened and where she's buried. Oh my gosh. So they eventually, you know, manage to outsmart him and corner him and get him in for questioning. But like they would show up at his work and he would dodge. He had seen Diana a couple of times out and about. He would run from her and jump into whatever car and take off. And yeah. I mean, why is the, why? Are you not chasing this guy? Right. Like, trying to. F- yeah. Right. What? So they finally get him in for questioning. And he's he's like, yeah, Misty called me uh, twice. Thanks for telling us, man. Right. The first call, he sticks to the story. I, I had no gas and I had no money to come and get her. So I told her I couldn't get her. And then he says the second time confirms what Trina said that she told him how to get in her house and where there was some cash and that he said he couldn't even get to her house because he had no gas and he just can't come and get her, you know, knock it off. I can't come get you. Don't call me. He does claim, however, that he did make those statements to the owner of the restaurant where he worked. He said that he made those statements to get his boss off of his back. Why would you say that? About what? Like, I know where she is and I know where she's buried. Yeah, but to get him Why? off his back about what? How the does that- boss doesn't care. Yeah. Why would you say that? This is the most absurd statement. And yeah. it's more absurd because the police don't really do anything with it. So then Ruben states that he doesn't remember anything after the second call from Misty until the next morning because he suffers from blackouts. How convenient. fucking convenient is that? Very convenient. Right. He says the next morning he drove out to his grandmother's hundred acre farm in Buckley. And he doesn't know why. And nobody was out there when he got there. In Buckley, huh? How did you have the gas? Yeah. Sir. Yeah. yeah. How did you have the gas? Took four ten, did you? Thirty miles. Yeah. From Spanaway to Buckley. And thirty went, miles. And then the other person said he left with his uncle, right? Right. So and went to a party. Let's, let's talk to the uncle. What's the uncle have to say? Right. They don't talk to the uncle. Oh God. These people. So (laughs) this man who had no gas 
gets out to Buckley the next morning, but has no alibi that evening after about 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. According to him, you know, the roommate we know has already said that he left to go to a party. Mm-hmm. He's saying he doesn't know any of that information. What kills me is nobody follows up on the farm. Nobody follows up on how did you magically get gas in your car? Yeah. No, like nobody follows up on the medical information to prove that he has blackouts or doesn't have blackouts. He says he's been having them since he was a child. Nobody looks into that. Right. It turns out that this farm is eight miles away from where Misty's clothes are found. Eight miles. I was going to start partying the farm. I'm going to start looking at the farm. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They don't look at the farm. They don't care. Apparently. No. On March 8th, Reuben goes to the uh, Pierce County Sheriff's to take a polygraph. It's inconclusive. And the notes from the test are odd because it states that while he was going through the polygraph, he was trying to put himself in a relaxed hypnosis state, making himself almost go to sleep, it seemed like. So he's trying to pass the test. He's trying to get an inconclusive on his test. Right. Yeah. So, and that's really the only way you can do that yeah. is if you are so relaxed that they cannot get a reading on you to say yes or no. That is, that is how that works. Yeah. Well, it's very suspicious also. Like, right. I want to know how he knew to do that though. Yeah. But in the nineties, I mean, 90s. polygraph had been out for so long and it's notoriety. Everyone that's true. Knew. Yeah. Cause I think it was still admissible in court at that time yeah. as evidence. That's true. I just kind of was thinking, I don't know that I would know that. Because I remember, yeah, like everybody was scared of the polygraph. Oh, come take the polygraph. That's mm. true. And like, no, not the polygraph. Right, yeah. yeah. Criminals kryptonite. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, it's inconclusive. They say that he was alert before and after the test, but during it, he was like drowsy, sluggish, very monotone. And they release him and they do no follow-up on, on any of it. It's par for the course. Yeah. Because then they would just have to follow up on something. They don't want to do that. They don't want to follow up at no. this point. Yeah. So just when they think they have a full picture, a little nugget of truth comes out. And this brings us to our next possible suspect. Turns out that Trina did not actually walk home that night. Oh. She came through with this information to a, a friend that reports it to the police that she had been lying the entire time to cover up the fact that Michael Reiner, her 23 year old friend was actually her boyfriend. Oh God. After she called and the line, you know, the call didn't go through. She left him a message on his answering machine. Yeah. She left him a pretty nasty message. He goes out driving and looking for her and finds her and takes her home. So she didn't walk home. Oh, she claims that she, you know, had said, well, Michael, you know, Michael might come and get us after they left the message. And Misty was like, yeah, I don't I don't want to get a ride from him. Apparently he creeped her out. And there's suspicion that maybe Michael had propositioned her at one point. He, and seems like a pedophile. Uh, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. You would have to be 14 years old and, and you're 23. 23. Come on. Give me a break. So they were obviously keeping that from her parents, Mm -hmm. which is why she didn't want that to come out. Which is why you can't trust just one interview with the 14 year old because she's not going to tell you the truth. Right. She's only worried about not getting herself in trouble. Right. As badly as she feels, I'm sure she does. You know, I'm sure she felt very bad about leaving her friend there and, you know, what happened. She still doesn't want to get in trouble. Right. She's probably just scared. That's her main emotion at that time. When they look into Michael, they find that he actually has ties to the missing and murdered girls, Kim Delange and Anna Chabotnoy. He knew them. And, and they were also and 14, right? They were also 14. 
at that time though he would have been younger he so delange went missing in 88 so he would have been a few years younger oh, right but he did know them he knew both of them they also find a juvenile complaint of abduction and rape from an 11 year old when michael was 16 oh. no charges end up being pressed in that case for whatever reason trina claims that she called reiner that night gets his answering machine and then he ends up, you know, driving around and finds her that he was only at her house for maybe 10 minutes and that he said, should we go back and get Misty? And she said, no, I gave her extra money. She'll she'll get the bus or she'll get home. And and that was that. So then he left. Police ask her, is it possible that he went and found her? Oh. And she says, I don't know. I don't think so. But I don't know. He was only with me for, you know, long enough to drive me home in about 10 minutes. And then he left. Oh. And he could have been. Yeah. She doesn't know. He knew the area she was at, et cetera, right. et cetera. Probably was able to get, would have been able to, hey, I'm going to give you a ride. Yeah. So mm. police feel that Reiner is the most likely suspect. Again, nothing comes of this. Months went by and Misty is still being considered a runaway, but the police stopped looking for anything outside of Michael Reiner. They eventually search his car, but there's such a backlog on, you know, testing that it takes almost a year to get anything tested. They don't find anything, but it takes them that long and they're not pursuing anybody or anything at that time. Then they finally interview him and his story is, is pretty airtight. They ask him to take a polygraph and he passes it. So they let it lie. They have nothing and they let it lie. They don't, they don't pursue it at all. Then they start circling back to Ruben again after finally Michael, you know, the car is searched and that, Evidence is looked at and the report comes back. It's almost a year later. It's literally like nine months later. They circle back to Michael or I'm sorry, they circle back to Ruben. This time they interview his roommate who had not been talked to. The, the roommate yeah. that said that he had left with the uncle. Yeah. So James comes in and he gives them yet another version of the story that night. He claims that Misty called and asked for a ride, but Ruben had a girlfriend over mm -hmm. a 13 year old girlfriend. Oh, I am I'm so done with yeah. these people. God. So she wasn't happy that Misty called and she left soon after. Then Ruben left too. He didn't say where he was going. He didn't say when he would be back. And he didn't come back until around midnight that night, like between midnight and 1 a.m., the roommate says. They didn't talk to Ruben again until September 8th. They talked to this roommate like in the summertime. Well, and Ruben had said that he went and he stayed at the farm, right? He woke up out at that farm. Right. But the roommate's saying that he got back there that he at came back one. about, yeah, by one o'clock he was home. And then why would they not ask the uncle anything? Right. Like, why would your next step not be to speak to him? They just, it's like they, it's right in front of their face. Yeah. And they're right. half-fascinated. They're doing something and then they're just. Right. It's like just doing barely enough to kind of say they were doing right. something yeah. to kind of show not, some progress. Yeah. Not following up in right. any way, shape or form. Right. This is not building my confidence in the police no, force around not, here at not all. Not so much. Not at all. so much right now. Not in the nineties. Let's I, let's not put it on them today. Cause this is not necessarily them today. Some of these people are probably gone and retired or passed away. I, I'm just saying here in the nineties, you didn't do your job. <laughs> no, the nineties was a crazy time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, he comes in, he talks to them again. He's saying he still can't remember because of the blackouts. You know, he has blackouts. Mm -hmm. right. And he passes a second polygraph. 
And meanwhile, they've told Diana that he passed the first polygraph too. And that's why they weren't investigating him any further. She doesn't know that it was inconclusive. Mm. She was told that it, he passed it. And on the second one, are there, and is there any information that he was doing that weird hypnotic thing again? Or no, no, just that he did pass it. Mm. So the farm isn't searched. There's no further follow-up on him. And in almost a last-ditch effort, they start throwing out polygraph tests to everybody at this point. <laughs> um, Missy's dad comes in and takes one. Diana takes one. They both pass. They try to get Corey to come in and take one. But at the last minute, he cancels because he says he doesn't trust it. Mm. So the case just they, kind of fizzles. He thinks they're going to pin it on him. And, Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's where it stands. That's literally where it stands. It fizzled out. They they had no leads. Corey, his big reveal of, you know, oh, I think it's this Randy guy. And then it coming out that he was a pedophile mm. and a child molester doesn't give him the vindication that he thinks that it should. He's still looked at as just, you know, this crazy guy who bothers the police all the time about his weird mm. conspiracy theories. Diana is just still this grieving mom who just wants some answers about her daughter and she's never gotten them. You'd think that it's really easy for them, even right now today, to grab those clothes, do some DNA testing. So there were some things that were found on the clothes. There was a hair that was not a match to anybody, Misty included. Oh, so they did do some DNA testing on yeah, the Yeah, but because of the okay. backlog, it took it took a long time. It comes back that this hair is not, it's not a match for anybody in the FBI database. It's not a match to Misty. It's not a match to any of the family members or anybody who, who might've had contact with her. So there's that. They also did find, and this is another thing that Corey made happen because when he was arrested and sentenced, somehow he made that, the clothing, the evidence of it, somehow he included it in his drug trial really yeah because he was responsible for finding it oh right because they wanted had, him them to let him off a little right easier. so he was saying that this evidence should be he should be part of the chain of of you know distribution mm -hmm. so he ended up getting a report later on that they found three red paint chips on the clothing mm. by that time ruben's car had been sold he had a, a Chevy Nova, so they never tested it. It had been sold and crushed in a, oh. a wrecking yard. The car that Michael had was not a match. The car that that other suspect who had raped was convicted of rape of that 15 girl, you're, you're all girl. She did have a red car. It was a red Camaro. It never got tested. And the other, you know, car from the uncle that they could have tested, that never got tested. So they have no match to those paint chips of where they might go. Other than that, there's no other, no, no other evidence that they could get from her clothing. So, so that's so that's just where it stands. That's just where it stands. How there's, terribly yeah, tragic! Unless that hair catches a match right. at some point to right. somebody that gets entered into the system, which, as we know, DNA is is just making leaps and strides. So I just want them to search that farm. I feel like, I mean, a hundred acres would be a large search, but now they have like infrared cameras. They can do aerial things. They yeah, yeah there's all sorts of things. I just I seems like feel. it's a likely, you know. Yeah. So we're going to wrap it up. We thank everybody for listening, of course, and we appreciate your guys' time. 
Uh, we hope that you checked out our Halloween episode collab with Crimes and Closets. And thank you, Brandy, for coming with thank us today. Thank you for today. having me, guys. We loved having you. We love having guests. Yeah, this is interesting. I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed myself. Good. Thank you. As always, everybody stay kind, please, to one another. And stay out of the goddamn woods. Stay out of the woods. Stay out. It's no good. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.